You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been enjoying our podcast and you think it might be worth five bucks a month, please show your support by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. We have some great emails this week, a few to get to here, so let's get right into them. First, I want to start off over on the Patreon with our patron, Mark, who sent me this message uh, via our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Island. You know, speaking of that, guys, uh, you on the Patreon, um, I'm thinking about going back into some of my older scripts uh, that I've written, some of the research that I've done for some of the historical stuff, the first few, you know, the discovery of the money pit and the Truro company and that kind of stuff, and maybe start cleaning them up a little bit and actually publishing them over on Patreon, just so you guys have a little kind of reference material to work on there. Just thought it might be a nice little addition to, uh, to the Patreon. Anyway, Here's what Mark had to say. Just finished episode 10. One of the more interesting ones in a while. This is last week's. Uh, Would like to see how the new interpretation of the seismic compares with the old one. Curious why the encountered airspace did not show up on the reinterpreted results. I don't think... um, Okay, Mark, thank you so much for writing in and for being a patron, of course. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get a real comparison. I just kind of... We just don't get things like that. (laughs) It's a great question. Um, we didn't really get a whole lot of information on what is the reason why we're seeing this new stuff. I mean, the, the implication was there's some new technology, um, to look at the old data and that's definitely possible. I'm not really sure. Um, last we saw of Jeremy church, uh, the geophysicist who, uh, gave us all this info last week. Um, we were, he was really focusing in on the swamp. Now he did mention, um, other anomalies back then. He mentioned four in particular, there was the one in the money pit, the SS Maddie, or the one in the swamp, the SS Maddie Blake. There was one in the money pit, and then there were two in what he called, I think he called like the upland areas in between the money pit and the swamp. Uh, but they were in different places, and there was sort of like an implication that there was something connecting the one in the money pit to the one in the uplands area. Um, you know, I'll put a picture of that on Facebook. I went back and looked at the old show, uh, and you can decide what you think. It looks like. The anomaly we're working on now, the shaft 12 one, might be what he's talking about. The 12 by 12 anomaly doesn't seem to be something picked up in the old um, analysis. It's very, very hard to tell um, and hard for me to comment. I don't, I know nothing about this technology or how the data from the, comp- the technology is compressed, really, and, and interpreted. And why did the airspace there, so to speak, not show up on a target? Uh, are we sure it didn't? I mean... Um, he did point them over there. They did drill there because he was going for a target. Now he was going for a tunnel, but couldn't that be airspace? Um, you know, I, I just think that's probably why they were there to begin with. I don't know. I, I, at least that's what I get out of all this. Not sure if that's what you get, Mark, but uh, that's what I kind of get out on. Thank you very much for uh, writing in. Great to hear from you again, as always. Uh, now let's go to the emails. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you guys, I have been waiting uh, for this email from our friend Lionel in Portugal uh, for quite a while, an email that starts exactly like this one that he sent this week where he writes, Hi, Dave. 
This season sure feels like a vindication. Yes, I'm sure it does, Lionel. If you recall, I was originally amazed on how nothing was speculated about possible Portuguese involvement when the earliest explorers of the area were in Portuguese. And when so much interest had been raised about Templars, when the Portuguese held for centuries their actual surviving headquarters under the name Order of Christ, as has already been amply mentioned now. Okay, I'm going to stop there um, and mention that mention that again, just because I think it's important to understand. The show likes to equate almost anyone <laughs> that came after the Templars, you know, the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, um, you know, followers of Francis Bacon. They like to they like to somehow link them all to the Knights Templar. All of those links are nebulous at best, right? Some with increasing and decreasing values of connection here. But the one that is absolutely connected is the Order of Christ. The Portuguese king, after he was told to by the Pope and the King of France or whoever it was, to round up all the Templars and execute them or put them on trial, he didn't do that because he really owed his kingdom and his country to the Templars who helped him defend his country in a recent war. So he gave them refuge and reorganized them into something he called the order of Christ, which they eventually got recognition from the Pope over so that the Portuguese actually do have descendants of Templars, real actual descendants of Templars who continued to work in that same kind of fashion. Anyway, Lionel continues. Of course, this remains only speculation, if that, but it is fun to dream about. And it's nice that American audience start to realize just how vast the Portuguese impact upon the world was. Portuguese serious involvement would be 1500s and not 1650 to 1670, as they state in their time frame of most finds. So the likelihood of the Portuguese in this is low. At the time, we were fighting two separate wars with the Netherlands and Spain after a brief but too long period of 60 years union of the crowns and recovering settlements that the Dutch had conquered during those 60 years. Northeastern Brazil uh, in particular. North America was already outside of our radar except for fishing by then. Below, you can see a map of the Dutch-Portuguese war theaters of operation in South America, Africa, India, Indonesia, and the China Sea, 1595 to 1663. And I'll put that picture on the uh, Facebook page for you guys to go and and uh, take a look at. Just go to facebook.com slash digging Oak Island. You'll see it there. Uh, Lionel continues, if the Oak Island team decides to visit Portugal and Tamar, as they have done for France... I sure hope to be able to catch a glimpse of them. That'd be amazing. Yes, it would. Uh, Onwards to more serious considerations, I'd like to comment on the aspect that is sure to bug most people. If there is an offset chamber identified in the new reading of the seismic data, how come they they decide to explore the opposite end of the tunnel, not the chamber itself? The guys probably were already persuaded by the likelihood of an offset chamber. It's not exactly jaw-dropping news. It has popped in and out of discussion several times, and there were some obvious video editing cuts in that part of the discussion. So probably their concern is more likely how to approach the offset chamber without ruining it, and in finding a tunnel would go some way to achieving it. My take on it is this. Probably they have discussed then some other plans, more serious and interesting ones, and then Rick may have said to explore Shaft 12 as an easy first check. And that was the only piece left uncut in this episode to avoid spoiling viewers' interests. One breadcrumb a day, I hazard. Cheers, and keep up your excellent podcast, Lionel. All right. 
Uh, first, thank you for the email. Okay, for new listeners to the podcast, Lionel has been trying to get us to look at the possibility of Portuguese, Portuguese involvement for uh, quite some time now. Uh, and as we all know, this year the show is heavily focusing on the Portuguese theory. And f- for you, Lionel, the most intriguing thing here has to be the simple fact that we don't really yet know why. And by that, I mean, are, are we going to see something this year, some fine, something that pays off all these discussions about the Portuguese? Because it is kind of strange that we keep bringing this up, although for the last eight years, we really haven't. Here's what I know for sure. Uh, if they do find something, Lionel is going to be dancing around his living room. <laughs> well deserved. And you know what, Lionel, you are correct about the chamber and about the strangeness of their reasoning on where to dig first. I mean, honestly... Um, The data shows a 12 by 12 square chamber, and that isn't the first place you put a drill down. Maybe they could be worried about it, how to get to it, uh, what to look at, but they have in the past always kind of just gone straight in to try to confirm things. Um, It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, there was a lot to the conversation that we never saw. I can guarantee you that. And you could be right about this. It is early days, so let's just wait and see. They may be saving this to the end for dramatic purposes, as they tend to do. Okay, the next email is from Andre. Andre, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm very, very sorry. It looks like Andre. Um, Hey, Dave. uh, Love the insightful podcast and the show. Uh, Been listening, watching both for a while. Uh, In some of the recent podcast episodes, you seem to make a big deal about the comments made on digging deeper about solving the mystery. Uh, Is it possible that maybe you're reading into the comments a bit? Maybe what they meant was this tech is so cool and advanced that if anything will solve the mystery, this will and not intended to imply that they will have solved the mystery. Naturally, they could have also phrased it that way to lead us on. Uh, whether it is true or not, I guess we'll find out as the show progresses. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Um, thank you for the email, my friend. He's, you're not digging deeper. You're talking about the drilling down episode from a couple of weeks ago uh, where they did sort of a, what was it? Something about preserving the, uh, if you want to go back and look, you probably can, preserving the history or something. Um, now, I, I really, I have to admit, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I really don't agree with you. I don't think I'm reading into it at all. Let me just read to you again the direct quote from executive producer, a showrunner, his name is John Levy, who said that the heavy equipment he was pointing at in the scene was, quote, some brand new cutting edge technology that they will be bringing onto the island later this year. Once they use this technology, it will solve the Oak Island mystery. Now, I'm sorry. But if there is any ambiguity in that statement, Andre, my friend, you are putting it there because Mr. Levy certainly did not. If that isn't a quote unquote big deal, then I don't really know what is. Now, maybe you're correct about what he meant, but um, neither of us can say that because that's clearly not what he said. What he said was, again, once they use this technology, it will solve the Oak Island mystery. And also remember This is an executive producer. Not only did he say what he said and the way he said it, but he also saw it before it went to air and chose to air it that way. So if he felt that it was overstating and he said what he said didn't reflect what he really meant, well, he absolutely had the chance to fix that and he chose not to. And he chose not to after 
he already knew what the outcome of this technology actually brought to bear because this all happened months and months ago what actually what this technology actually did and this went to air only a couple of weeks ago i'm sorry he doesn't get a mulligan from me on this one if he's lying about this it does not reflect well in the history channel or prometheus especially if he's completely wrong no matter how you choose to interpret this sentence he's it just doesn't reflect well on them this is what he said and as far as i'm concerned me and every other viewer can expect this technology to do exactly as he says. It will solve the mystery. If not, well, we really can't trust much of what he says from that point forward, right? Uh, thanks for the email. Um, let me say, I suspect you are right. I, I believe you are correct that he did this for television dramatic reasons. Um, and I guess he's okay with being the one with egg on his face if this doesn't turn out that way. But I hope he isn't going to be have an egg on his face. I hope this is solved. I hope this is the technology that does it. How exciting would that be? Anyway, thank you very much for the email. Uh, let's hear from another old friend of the show we haven't heard from in a while. Here is Bernie. Bernie, I hope all is well with you. Um, he writes, David, seems to me that a portion of the Oak Island fan base has turned into something similar as a wrestling fan base. Uh, they watch at this point to pick up on errors or something that doesn't fit their narrative, only to be able to point those things out. However, I want to say three things to these people. Number one, we watch this show for an hour a week. These guys in the island spend hours upon hours out there putting in this work. So try to imagine their frustration with the time and lack of findings compared to what we see. Number two, be careful putting all of your stock in a certain theory. It will make you sway judgment on fines to go with or against what you already believe. It can get your hopes up or make you angry. And to be honest, neither way that goes, the outcome will be frustrating to you because we all know it never works out the way we hope it does. I've learned this from experience and it is miserable. <laughs> Number three, if you are only invested in the end game of Oak Island, maybe give Beyond Oak Island a shot. They are only one hour, and then it's on to the next treasure hunt. If I know one thing with certainty about Oak Island, it's that this adventure has been going on for a long time, and there is a very good chance that it'll keep going on for much longer. With all that being said, just try to enjoy the adventure. It's not going to end today, and it's not going to end tomorrow. I'm still not 100% sold on if there is or isn't a treasure on the island, but I believe with all my heart there is a great story to be told. This show won't be on forever, so just sit back and enjoy the ride that is Oak Island. I love the pod. I hope you and yours are doing well, Bernie. Bernie, uh, beautifully said, my friend, and I hope you guys are doing great, too. Um, it's a great reminder to all of us that no matter what you want out of a television show, right, the mystery of Oak Island, this dig, this search for whatever this is, you know, has been going on for 225 years. Just think of that. 225 years. Generations of treasure hunters have come and gone uh, over the centuries, have failed, have found nothing, and yet the search continues. And somehow we think as television viewers that just because there's a television crew on the island, that somehow that means that they're going to find the answers and somehow we deserve to know the answers now. We simply don't. Uh, Oak Island doesn't care how much time we've invested watching television. It didn't care about how many lives were lost or anything like that um, over the years, the 225 years before now. Let me say it like this. I, do I believe they're closer now than ever before to getting an answer? Yes, I do. And that's because the amount of technology 
And just the amount of sheer cash being brought onto the search now is greater than ever before by tenfold, right? But even so, I still think the mystery will most likely evade even this group of searchers. That's the smart bet because, like I said, it has evaded everyone before them. Uh, thank you so much, Bernie, for that little wake-up call. Uh, it really was a well-written email. Hope to hear from you again soon. Um, let's go now to Tim, who writes, Hi, Dave. Did you see this article? I found it in a Facebook post, um, and I will post this, I'll forward this onto Facebook for you guys. Uh, it talks mostly, it's with Marty Lagina. It talks mostly about his efforts, but um, there's a bit about Oak Island. One thing I found interesting is that he said... At first, it was all his money being used in the search on Oak Island, but after a while, the producer started paying for the search. It reminds me of the first and second seasons when Marty threatens to pull out all the time. In about season three, that tension went away. I hate to say it, but I think the big answer to everyone's question is right there. They make money as long as they are searching. That's why they are spinning their wheels all the time just putting busy work. Uh, digging an old road, and they probably all know about, but pretend they are surprised by it. They also kind of hide the data and maps and are very careful with what they reveal on TV. I always hear you grumbling, complaining about why they don't pursue something when it looks promising. I think they just don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. They are the first ones to make money just searching. Anyway, I just wanted to share that article with you. Thanks for reading this. Uh, keep up the great work. Tim in Winnipeg. Okay. Uh, Tim, thank you so much. Great find there, too. Uh, the interview he mentions is from a website called The Ticker. From what I gather, it's a news website from up in Traverse City, Michigan, which is where the Laginas are from. Uh, the interview was conducted by a reporter named Luke Haas and uh, released on January 14th of this year, so it's only a couple of weeks old. It's mostly about uh, Marty Lagina's work in the energy business and that sort of thing. The, the reporter does ask some questions about the curse of Oak Island. And at one point, I'll read it directly to you. He asks, quote, and is this show lucrative for you? Question mark. To which Marty replies, quote, well, initially we paid for it all, but now they pay for us the money. They so, yes, there's money in it, but we wouldn't do it just for the money. It's something we shared as boys. And it's really intriguing. Something really odd happened here. And there are so many possibilities. Tim, uh, that's the end of the quote. Tim, I got to tell you, I, I, I do find it hard to avoid theories like yours. Um, these days, they are this idea of, you know, they're really just searching for the sake of searching uh, because if they find something, the show's over. That the Theories like that are ubiquitous in the Oak Island fandom now. And I, again, I'll admit, it's hard sometimes, especially when you read something like this, not to be persuaded by the logic in those theories. For a long time, Marty was very, this is, I'll be honest with you, this is a very revealing sentence because for a long time, he was very cagey about that response. He's always asked that question. Anytime he's done an interview or he's done like town hall type interviews too, he's always asked that question and he's always punted on it. He's always evaded it. He's always made it sound like maybe they share in it or yada, yada, yada. But here he's actually saying that they pay for it now. Um, then he kind of backs it up and says, but oh, we do it anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, to some degree, these theories that you're buying into here might be correct. But I think the deal is with this kind of stuff, I think it's way harder to hide important finds and important information from the world than people like to think it is. Um, 
listen, we've talked about this thing before. Uh, this is the general fairy tale that com- revolves around almost all conspiracy theories. It's just nearly impossible to get dozens, if not hundreds of people to all go along with your little dishonesty, your little cover up. It just is. It's just it's just hard to do that. And there's a lot of people coming on and off this island, people that we see on camera, of which there are dozens and dozens, and even more that we don't see on camera. I always I've said this a million times. I've always equated this stuff to the moon landing theory. You know, the people who think that uh, the the landing on the moon by Apollo 11 was just staged on a soundstage in Hollywood, on Hollywood. Do you understand how many hundreds of thousands of people were involved in that mission? People in this country and people outside of this country who were also able to track that mission and watch it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you're just not thinking far enough down the road of what it really takes to pull something like this off, um, you know, to, to really do a cover up like this. Uh, if the team found something of major significance, like so many people like to say they have, the cover up of that would be incredibly hard to pull off with the, you know, with the uh, amount of success that they would need to pull it off, which is basically perfect, right? I mean, sure, Lucasfilm could hide some things from viewers for a few months, but we're talking about years here. There are people who think they've solved this mystery five years ago. There are so many professional people on the island now with reputations that mean more to them than any silly television show. To get them all to buy into this little ruse is just very far-fetched to me. Anyway, you're not. I don't think you're wrong. You're certainly not alone, Tim. Um, I, I just, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced by just this little quote. Uh, again, I'll put the link on the uh, for the interview for you guys to read. I'm sure you'll find it fascinating. Okay, let's go now to a listener named Jeff who writes, Hi, Dave. Thanks for answering my last email. And one of your other listeners kind of also brought up the flood tunnels, which I guess was at the root of my questioning about the water. I find it strange that the first couple of seasons of the show, one of the most prominent subjects was the flood tunnels. You couldn't go 10 minutes without them expounding on the matters of the flood tunnels, booby traps, box drains, finger drains, coconut fiber, etc., with the graphic of the water flowing through the flood tunnels into the money pit. And now they've never now they never mention it. They did, well they did this week by the way. They just dig all these boreholes with no concern or consideration of it, even when they just drilled and all of that water came shooting out. Clotworthy did not speculate if they had possibly drilled into a booby trap flood tunnel. What's the deal? Have they blocked the flood tunnels? Did draining the swamp end the source of the flood tunnels? It's just odd how it never mentioned anymore. How it's never mentioned anymore. Also, just wanted to chime in that I still love the and look forward to the show each week. Uh, if it is up to me, there'd be even more episodes and each episode would be longer. <laughs> Same with your podcast. Thank you, sir. By the way, I was wondering if you've ever given any thought to digging Oak Island merchandise, T-shirts and mugs. Thanks. Uh, take it easy, Jeff. Jeff, I have not. Just to answer that last part. I've not given thought to all that, but heck, I don't see why we can't do it if there's actually some interest in it. Um, the problem is I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I guess I have to find somebody around here who does. Uh, I, I'm not sure, guys, you realize just how clueless I am with things like this. Uh, I am good at sound recording. Uh, I do that for a living, um, you know, as a musician. Uh, so I know that stuff. But once you get into graphics and that's just way beyond. And I have absolutely no artistic talent at all. So I'd have to find somebody, probably a 
high schooler or something like that who knows how to work these things better than me. I have some nieces and nephews who can probably get it done. Uh, as far as the flood tunnels go, you know what? Let's see what comes out of Shaft 12. Um, and we're getting some comment on that now here uh, with the with the sh- tunnel you're going to see in, the, in this episode, right? That we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, as I told you last, last week, when the cave and pit was first ex- explored, which is when Shaft 12 was dug, they only got 55 feet down because it was flooding like crazy. Uh, It is right in the area where if you believe in the flood tunnel system, uh, that's where it would likely be found because Shaft 12 sits really directly in between Smith's Cove and the Money Pit. But about, um, you know, uh, your question about whether the show never mentions the why the show never mentions the booby trap system anymore. uh, Well, like I said, they did today. I think your guess is as good as mine. I just think they've been focusing on other things now. Uh, They mentioned it all the time during the the, um, excavation of Smith's Cove. Uh, Whether you believe the flooding of the various searcher tunnels was natural or part of a booby trap, the fact remains that such flooding did occur. And again, it should occur when the team starts to... um, you know, when they managed to find the money pit and start digging down in it again, you would imagine that would come back. I don't know of anybody who's blocked it, and I certainly don't know that they have. Um, let's see on this one. I, th- I think this is something we can get back to at the end of this season here. So keep that in mind and uh, come back to me at the end of the year or later on, Jeff, to uh, remind me of this conversation and then we could see where we've gone. You know, great to hear from you. All the best. Uh, let's finish up here with Bob who writes, hi, Dave. Greetings from Chicago, Illinois. I've been interested in the Oak Island mystery ever since I first heard about it when I was a child. I've watched every episode of the show since history first started airing in 2014. I only recently discovered your podcast, and I wish I had found it earlier, because I have very much enjoyed listening to your analysis of the show and your engagement with comments and questions from other listeners. I've started to go back and listen to previous episodes of your podcast, and especially love some of the interviews you did between Season 8 and 9 of the show. I know that this is a few months late, but I only just listened to your review of Season 9, Episode 2. One of the opening questions of the podcast asked about the picture often shown the VI parchment. And after tracing some of its history, you said you were not sure where it is now. I have always been fascinated by this particular piece of parchment because it is one of the few tangible pieces of evidence that I am aware of from the first century or so of the treasure hunt. With the 90-foot stone now lost, most of what we have are just stories about what was found, which may or not have been apocryphal or embellished. Hence my excitement when the VI parchment was featured in one of Maddie Blake's Drilling Down episodes in 2019, putting the pieces together. Maddie was talking to Charles about the history of the treasure hunt, and Charles mentioned that they actually had the VI parchment in the research center on the island. Charles and Paul Troutman showed it to Maddie under a microscope and compared it to other pieces of parchment found in H8. I was glad to see that all that at least one artifact survived over the years. Okay, let me stop here. Yes, Bob, you're right. Exactly. I went back and looked at that. That's exactly where it is. I don't remember the conversation from the podcast that you're talking about, um, but I, I do recall now the episode for sure, and I went back and looked at it. The thing is, much of the evidence people read about, much of what came up out of the money pit before, really, before Dan Blankenship, is either lost or maybe just kind of stories at this point. There's about pieces of gold, things people squirreled away off the island, all sorts of crazy stuff. 
Uh, but you are correct. That piece is in the museum. Um, there might be a pre-Legina piece of metal there too, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to go back and watch that one more time, but I did go to that scene. Um, again, thank you. Great find. Bob continues. Uh, I did have one question that I wanted to ask you. Over the course of the show, it has been interesting to see theories and storylines come and go. One early storyline that received a fair bit of attention was Nolan's Cross. Theories abounded about mercy points and the tree of life and the as above, so below. However, since the discovery of Xena's map, which does not include Nolan's Cross, there has been much less uh, reference made to it. I have my own doubts about both the map and the cross. But for those that believe that one or both are legitimate, are you aware of any explanations given as to why Nolan's cross does not appear on the map? I remember Aaron Helton in season eight trying to connect the crossbar with one of the anchor stones, but I can't recall any explanation given as to why two anchors shown on a map would help someone find a giant stone cross not on the map. Again, thank you for all you do to produce quality and enjoyable podcast, Bob. Um, in a word, Bob, no, I don't recall any reason given as to why, and all the stuff I've read about it, given as to why Zena's map would have no mention of Nolan's cross. You would think if somebody came over here and, uh, put down a treasure and made a giant map with a million different points on it, but also managed to go through the Herculean effort it would have taken to line up those gigantic boulders that they would have probably wrote that on their map as well. Um, listen, I, I talk about this a lot. I talk about Xena's map a lot. Uh, and uh, the reason why I think it's, there's no connection here or made here in my mind is pretty clear. The map is most likely not what we're led to believe. Um, and even some of the cast in short sentences and little clips have sort of admitted that, right? Now, I know I beat around the bush on this one a lot, I, I, and and maybe I should just come out and say what I think of Xena's map, and I've come very close to that. I just feel like when I do that, I'm trampling on the memory of this woman who put so much time and effort into her work here. So I would say this. Uh, if you are interested in Xena's map, if you are curious about what I'm saying, go look this up on your own. You know, um, it's it's all out there. <laughs> Uh, it's all the information is there to read about. Go read about it and see what you think um, and make this judgment on your own. I've chosen not to, um, you know, I, I, I haven't formulated a theory, but over the years I have crossed out certain clues that I don't think um, will come to bear in actually formulating a theory. And one of those things I've crossed out is Zena's map for a lot of reasons. Thank you so much, Bob. Keep up the great emails, you know, keep them coming. And if you guys have any emails you would like or any questions or any comments you want discussed on a future podcast, send them here to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. It is time to discuss Season 9, Episode 11 of The Curse of Oak Island called A Boatload of Clues. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not saying this in a in a derogatory way. Um, this is going to be kind of a short review. There really isn't much to talk about in this week. And that doesn't mean that's because the show, the episode was bad or I didn't like it. That's not true. I did like it. Um, 
there just isn't a whole lot of information for me to me, for me to kind of expand for you. You know what I mean? To me to kind of comment on. Um, I think you kind of know what I mean, but uh, if not, you'll see as we go along here. Okay, most of the episode is actually focused on the swamp. So before we get to the swamp, let's briefly uh, talk about the other areas we saw on the island, starting with Lot 32. Uh, Gary Drayton was metal detecting over there with Michael John, and he pulled out a coin. Now, Gary says he expects it to be an early 1700s British coin, but we didn't see anything more of it. In fact, he didn't even clean it up or anything. He said, oh, we got to take it to the trailer and let uh, let them, the archaeology trailer, let them clean it up. So we didn't see anything. Now, that, as I tell you all the time, that means one of two things. One, it was nothing. They pulled it up and it was, you know, like a 1980s uh, <laughs> Canadian loony or something like that. Or, uh, or we're going to see a lot more of it later. It's just they didn't fit that into this episode. So, uh, but either way... There isn't much to talk about today, right? So we got to kind of hold on to that for a later episode. Okay, let's take a quick stop over at the money pit. Again, at the start of the show, we see them digging a new hole. It's called A13. It's two and a half feet north of the hole we saw them dig last week, which had water spewing out of it. Now, again, (laughs) I wonder why we're doing this, why they started digging here um, and not at the 12 by 12, uh, you know, perfectly square structure that the geophysicist told them about. It was weird they wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, I would start the project there. And, and you know, somebody mentioned before, maybe they're trying to attack it in a certain way. Maybe they are. Maybe they don't want to drill down right through the middle of it. But uh, I would I would be thinking that, right? Right off the bat. I certainly would be thinking that. Um And I guess they're trying to figure out here now whether or not there's a tunnel going. The problem with that is I'm not sure why the tunnel, when the the geophysicist Jeremy Church showed us what he's found, he found a chamber kind of off to the west side of the money pit area, which was over by C1. And then he found a tunnel heading towards shaft 12, which is on the very eastern side of the area, and it's northeast of the other target. So this tunnel would be moving kind of southwest, more west than south, but southwest. So why would your second hole be dug two and a half feet to the north? Not really sure, uh, but they don't explain this kind of stuff, so it's, it's kind of weird. Um, but again, I would have started at that square target. Hey, that's just me. Um they get because listen, if you drill down there with a little borehole drill and you go through gold coins, well, there's no sense in looking anywhere else, right? <laughs> anyway, they dig down A13. Uh, they get more evidence of an air pocket, and uh, interestingly, they find something that looks like it might have been kind of eelgrass or something like that. It's kind of strange to find that sort of organic thing at 82 feet, I would imagine, but we didn't really actually get much of a follow up on that. Uh, and what that really was. So again, there's not much to talk about here for me, not much for me to comment on. Maybe we'll see more about this later. What they do realize is that they are at a void, but clearly not a tunnel because they're not finding any cribbing that's holding the whole tunnel up, right? Um, The narration concludes, as we mentioned before, that this could be evidence of the booby trap flood tunnel system. But you know what, from the looks of their faces and the way they kind of reacted and the the feel the editors were giving us, the sort of feeling of disappointment, it's hard not to think that what they were really 
thinking about here is that they found a natural feature, um, that this tunnel may in fact not be a tunnel and instead something, you know, pretty natural because they really did look disappointed to me. I don't know if you guys got that feel too, but that's how, how I got, how I read that. Anyway, that's really all for the money pit. Not much more to talk about. Maybe we'll follow up on some of this stuff later. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about the swamp. All right, it's time now to discuss the workings over at the swamp. Um, I have to say, uh, I am glad to say that um, there was no mention this week of government entanglements over at the swamp, which has gotten me in trouble with some listeners for sure. Um, so I'm going to do the f- do 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 just the same thing. I'm going to follow that lead, and I am not going to mention that stuff for the foreseeable future. We'll just let it lie, um, and hopefully, uh, you know, the next time we hear about it, it'll be something positive. Now, the team is still digging way down on the southern edge of the swamp, which is right along the road that you see there. Um, There is going to be uh, a lot of wood pieces. This is going to be the wood piece episode, as I uh, think the guys pulled out like four different flattened pieces of wood. Now, our patron Claude wrote me uh, after watching the show and said, so by season 152, we will have gathered enough nautical pieces of wood and spikes to rebuild an imaginary ship sunk in the swamp. Can't wait. Yes, Claude, that does seem like what they're doing here. So uh, in the first sequence over at the swamp, Gary finds a flat piece of wood, which he says is from a ship. He doesn't really seem to have any real reason to say that, honestly. Um, Hard to tell. I think they cut him up a little bit, but I also think he's a little exuberant from time to time. And then later he pulls out a flat and sort of tapered piece of wood. Uh, Now he says that it looks like it could be the fragment of an end of an oar, which seemed logical enough to me. Uh, I mean, I can't say for certain what that is, but later in the show, it seems somewhat confirmed by an expert. More on that in just a second. Later on in the episode, Gary again is detecting alongside Michael John and finds another piece of flattened wood and then another. At this point, I was wondering if this was it. Are we just going to see wood pieces here? Are we actually going to try and figure out what these might be and where they might have come from? Luckily, that's exactly what we get. Um, into the war room comes a man named Dr. Lee Spence. He is an underwater archaeologist. Not sure that's an actual term, but that's what he says, uh, with a doctorate in marine history. He is an academic and a treasure hunter. Okay. He is a treasure hunter. His expertise is in shipwrecks and sunken treasures. Now, when I was researching him, I came across this great description of him in something called Vice Magazine, an online magazine, which called Spence, quote, a pioneer in the field of underwater archaeology, a world-renowned treasure hunter, and just about as close to an actual living, breathing Nathan Drake from the Uncharted gaming series as you're ever going to find. This is a guy, I'll say this, this is a guy who's seen a lot of shipwrecks and I would imagine a lot of old rotted wood. (laughs) Now, Dr. Spence takes a look at a variety of these artifacts pulled from the swamp over the years, and he confirms what I mentioned before, that this tapered piece could, in fact, be part of an oar. He picks up a larger piece of wood and says, quote, it could easily be part of a ship, end quote. Doesn't seem like a confirmation to me, but certainly says it to make people feel excited. That's kind of what I got out of that. He then takes a smaller piece Uh, which we thought might have been a belaying pin, but then he says it could be something called a fid. 
He explains what it is. It's hard to do it with just words here. Look it up. Uh, although I have to say that I think that if it was a FID, then it probably is broken off That because it usually had sort of a sharper end to get in between the lines. Um, and so that must be broken off. It's hard to tell from looking at this because it's worn so well. Uh, in the end, uh, much of what is learned here in this meeting is, um, well, I should say it like this, not much is really learned. Um Marty sums up the conclusions very well when he says that they he says something like they confirmed through this meeting, they've confirmed several pieces are nautical in appearance. <laughs> I mean, as much as doctor, as interesting as Dr. Spence was certainly to read about his career is fascinating. I don't think he needed him to tell you that. Right. Um, if that's all we got out of this conversation. Uh, but like I said, he certainly was cool to listen to for sure. And I, I like getting guys like that into the war room. Uh, anyway, it just, it seemed like a lot of like head turning and nodding and things like that. And not a whole lot of confirmation of anything in particular. I don't know if you guys got the same feeling out of, uh, out of that, um, scene, but that's what I got in a later war room meeting. The team gathers to hear C 14 carbon dating results on a few of these pieces, um, of wood found in the swamp that, um, that Craig has for them. He's the carbon dating guy, right? He's got this one trapezoidal piece and then a small piece which uh, shows signs of rope wear on it. Uh, We thought it might be um, from a cleat when we talked about it here, I think last week or the week before. Now there's a quick discussion where Doug Kroll talks about how he saw this old colonial era longboat in a museum there uh, up in Nova Scotia. And then he relates this trapezoidal piece as being from that kind of boat. I got to be honest I don't see what he's talking about, but that just may be the result of the editing in the scene. I mean, they showed the picture. I didn't really see why this would necessarily be from that. I certainly didn't see a direct match to that piece. It's hard to say. I mean, it could easily be cut and broken. Again, it's hard to tell. Craig says the trapezoidal piece, which we're talking about, comes from 1683 to 1735. And the other piece, 1680 to 1740, which, to me at least... Sounds a lot like they're from kind of the same thing. And as I've been saying for some time now, this could easily be evidence of an old destroyed wharf, which would make a lot of sense. And let me tell you why. And maybe I've said this before, but I'll repeat myself here. What we do know for sure about Oak Island is that in the early days of the European occupation of the area, the early settlers, Oak Island was used almost exclusively for farming. And one would need a wharf to get animals and crops on and off the island to the mainland. So, so far, what I'm seeing here, and hopefully I'm proven wrong, but nothing I've seen um, or heard from any of these experts makes me think anything else other than what we're seeing is evidence of such an old wharf, most likely destroyed after, uh, you know, a few years of lying dormant or uh, or misuse or unuse, right? Or maybe even one of those lovely North Atlantic storms that we hear so much about. Um, And at the risk of sounding like a Debbie Downer here, I think after all of this, we need to point something else out. As we go through this process in the swamp um, and we see these pieces of wood and stuff, it's easy to get swayed by the legend of a ship being buried in the swamp and equating artifacts, which, as Marty himself says, are nothing more than nautical in appearance as something, you know, mysterious or unusual that finding these things is somehow mysterious. Believe me when I tell you, finding old artifacts 
of a nautical nature on an island off of Nova Scotia, any island for that matter up there, be honest, is by no means unusual or mysterious. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think the swamp holds some mystery to it or some answers to this, but these artifacts, at least up to this point, have not really pointed me towards anything unusual. In fact, it's exactly what I would imagine one would expect to find when digging in an area like this. I mean, before that wharf, before that road was there, this was the beach, you know, and then it got a road built and the swamp all up around it. So all this stuff kind of got kind of got covered up. So this could easily be a wharf. It could easily be a piece of a shipwreck that washed ashore, you know, from miles away. It could also easily, just as easily be part of a house or a shed or that was blown to bits by a storm. All of those things are very good possibilities and much bigger possibilities than that of a treasure ship being buried in the swamp. And so far... I've really not seen any evidence to convince me otherwise that we're seeing something here, evidence of just what we would expect to find and really just nothing that unusual so far. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Don't forget, uh, shameless plugs here. I'm on WDVR-FM 89.7 in uh, uh, western Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania every Wednesdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, from 2 to 4, I host a show called the Bourbon Street Bistro, which plays the music of New Orleans. And then from 4 to 5, we do a show called Island Vibes, doing some music with a tropical feel. Uh, you can listen on the radio or you can go to WDVRFM.org to listen. You can also go uh, tell Alexa, apparently, to turn on WDVR from Wednesday, at Wednesdays between 2 and 5, and she will do that. Pretty cool. Uh, also, if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, I ask that you give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your shows. Uh, thanks to everybody who's done that already. It does help get the word out on the show. Um, thank you for uh, the kind words if you've done so. Uh, also, don't forget, you, if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can send them directly to me at uh, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. But just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So if you don't want your message read aloud, just uh, please make a note for, for me on that, okay? And don't forget, if you want to help out the show and you think we're worth five bucks a month to you, go over to patreon.com slash diggingoakisland to learn more. And uh, come and follow us, Facebook and Twitter, at Diggin' Oak Island. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.